there in verse 13, Mark 2, 13. This is speaking of Jesus. And it said, he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Lord, I thank you once again for, for allowing me to be here, for keeping me, for leading me, guiding, for helping me to, to follow you through all the twists and turns of life, through the good, the bad, the ugly, following your will, not really knowing exactly where the end is, but I know that I'm on the right track. So I ask God that you would give us that type of insight, mind, uh, to trust you in everything, knowing that nothing comes to us unless it passes through the hands, through your hands. I pray that you'd move, Holy Spirit, touch people's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And amen. So God, doing God's will, wow. You know, we could do things, um, that's tough. Sometimes harder than understanding God's will. And understanding God's will is hard enough. But doing it, right? The world we like, you know, the one we can see is the one we can touch and control. You know, if we can't control it, we have fears. You know, uh, psychologists say that people that are, are afraid of flying is because they don't have no control of the plane. You know, you know when you're up in that plane and you get those nice little bumps. Then, then that's when you're repenting. Oh, oh, Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my sins. You, you know, you, you just really. Uh, I used to have issues with flying years ago. Uh, I've been in three aborted landings. And uh, uh, the third one happened not too long ago. You were getting ready to land, and the plane went like this. And I looked up, I go, she's got to pull up. And the guy looks at me, I go, she's got to pull up. And he looked, what? She missed the runway, she's got to pull up. Sure enough, she pulled up. And we made a U-turn, you know, came back up, went all the way around, here, right here, Pike's Peak. U-turn, came back down, landed. And I go to that guy, and he's sitting next to me, right? And I go, that's my third aborted landing. And I just like, and he looked at me, he goes, Remind me to never fly with you again. <laughs> it wasn't my fault. Yeah, but when you submit to God's will, it's like that. You're not in control. You just got to go the way the wind blows you. The Holy Spirit takes you. But we want to touch it. We want to control it. So there's two ways to look at the world. You look at the world, and we talk about the human. We look at the world horizontally of how everything we've seen, how we're going to live in it. But God... God's ver viewpoint is vertically. He looks it, it, this way. And that's where we have the trouble uh, in our want. Understanding God's will. I guess the biggest thing is you cannot know God's plan in advance. If, if we did, it would, would not be faith. You know, it, it just, you never know. You, you don't have, you have, you want to have a guess and you're prepared. You can do all the things. You can get education. But, you know, you don't even know if you're going to need that education. If it's according to God's will. No, nothing wrong with it. 
You know, I tell people, get an education, get a good job, because you've you got to work. You might as well get paid good to do it. But you have to be prepared to give that all up if God has a different plan for you. That's where the, the, the rub comes. That's, that's the hard part. You know, you know what I mean? So, but the smallest detail of our life is, is a part of God's plan. The Bible said he even knows the, the hair on your head. Amen? Now, some of you have less hair to know, but he still knows that one you got in, that little peaky, that one, he knows that hair. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Isaiah 45, 6 and 7 says, I am the Lord, there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. All hell could be breaking loose, and, and it may not, you know, we, we look at it this way, all hell is breaking loose, but it just may be all heaven breaking loose. We, we don't have the right perspective. From God's perspective, it may just be heaven, not all hell. He has a plan, right? God will cause calamity to accomplish his purpose, right? We lack the perspective to understand what God does and why he does them. But if we allow God to lead, we'll follow, will he will allow him to lead, then little by little understanding goes, no, now I see what you're doing. Now I understand. But you're not going to get that type of understanding until you start following. American culture wants to understand before they do. God said, no, 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 no. God says, do before you understand. That's why most people don't really understand the Bible. They have an academic understanding of the Bible, but they don't know it. They know, they know the word, but they don't know the author. Hmm? So there's some very important aspects of, of his decreed will. It's absolute, unchangeable, it's unconditional. It works in perfect harmony with his nature. It's always good and right. Uh, his will will be strategic in, accompanying, in, accomp in, a, in accomplishing rather, his purpose. See, and that's where the, 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 the man... Man's gospel, the man-centered gospel of the United States is we think that God's the reason why God is here is so that you can live a good life. That's not why God came to earth, so that we can live a good life. No, God came to earth because he had a plan. It's a God-centered. He has a purpose. Now, if we align with God and we accomplish his purpose, believe me, there's certain blessings with following God. But he didn't come here so that you can have a new car, a new house, or none of that. He doesn't really care about that. We do. Right. Now, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you think that's why God is here, then he is no longer God. He, you, you went to the movies, and you just, you just came back from seeing Aladdin because you're treating him like a genie. Ouch. It, that even hurt me when I said But Romans 8.28 says this, God calls all things to work together for good, Right? And we all love that. All things work together to good, but he qualifies it to those who, who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. So everything in your life will work out together if you're called according to his purpose. But if you're here and you're, you're, you're not lined up with his purpose, my friend, not everything's going to work out good. There's a qualification. You have to be aligned to his purpose. If you're called... If you're called, your past, good and bad, is a perfect trail of God's decreed will for you, if you're called. Because I know I had some bad stuff in my life, and somehow God flipped that around. Why? Because I was called, and he used that bad to make me who I am today. If it wasn't for that bad, 
I wouldn't be in this type of ministry. If it wasn't for that bad, I wouldn't relate, right, with people in the streets. The, my, my makeup, my, my upbringing there in the ghettos of Northern California prepared me to deal with people in the ghettos all over the world. See, but he doesn't just re- reach you there to keep you there. He doesn't want me to low ride for Jesus until I'm 80. No, he gets you and he improves you. Amen. Right? So I, would tell, so I went from, from LSD, right, to PhD. Because he wants you to improve. He doesn't want you to stay the same. Some people say, well, uh, you know, I'm a vato loco for Jesus. No, you're not. You're just a vato loco. Jesus had nothing to do with that. You got to change. I'm a crip for the Lord. You ain't no crip. You're a dummy. Come on, get saved. Change it. God, God might get you there. Blood, crip, cuz, right? Homie, sureño, norteño. I don't care who you are. But he don't want to keep you there. He changes you. That's not his will. He'll use that to help you reach people. But he doesn't want you to stay there. See, a Christian cannot be in charge of their life. God has a plan. No one can stop it. And no one can surprise them. Right? Now, the fact that God has a plan does not mean he is the cause of everything that happens. Some things he allows to happen. Right? We do it. He, he says, permissible. You did it. God, why did this happen? Why? Because you were driving 105 in a 25 mile zone. That's why it happened. That was all you, dude. Don't blame God. Right? Why the OD? Why you stuck a needle in your arm, you big dummy? You know, you, that, that's you. It's all you. Right? And he'll use it to flip around if you don't die and go to hell. He'll use it. He'll change it if you let him. God's will. So well, how are we going to understand? So he goes with the seashore. He talks to the guy, Levi. And he said, follow me, Levi. He was a tax collector. Worked for the IRS. Right? Had no direction. He encounters Jesus, and he follows him. He didn't think about it. He followed him. What would you do? Jesus, walk in the door right now. And you got your thing going. And he says, you know what? Stop what you're doing. Follow me. Would you follow him? Really? Give up your car, your house. You got a 401k? No good no more. You got to give it up. Sell it all. He told the rich and ruler, sell everything. Follow me. He's like, I ain't selling nothing. I ain't following you. And he, the Bible said he walked away sad. See, following Jesus, everybody's different. But following Jesus, see, salvation is free. But following Jesus costs. Huh? So this poor guy was in a dead-end job. He's a functionary of the occupying power of his own country. Huh? He was an outsider of his people. You know, an outsider. Every, every culture has, a, has an outside. You know, you can, one, one culture calls it an Uncle Tom or an Oreo, right? Another my, uh, uh, culture calls it a Tio Taco, right? Yeah, another culture calls it a Benedict Arnold. Well, this guy, Levi, he was all of those. That's what he was, huh? So the tax collectors were known for taking a little, little bit on the sum sum on the side over the people. And he, but he was ripe for change. His own people didn't want him no more. Huh? Then he encounters Jesus with an unexpected invitation. He says, come on, follow me. Here's your chance. Jesus is calling. Here's your chance. Jesus is calling. Matthew shocks everyone, and he gets up and leaves his job at that moment. Right there. He, just, he didn't put a two-week notice. He didn't, he didn't do any of that. He said, I'm out of here. And he left his church, I mean, rather, his um, job on the spot. Left it. Boom. Right? On the spot. He shocks everybody. He leaves his denarii. 
Denarii was the, the Hebrew term for money. And he boasts after the Lord. Money. Money is a trippy thing. Look at your neighbor and say, money's funny. There's a character. You've probably all seen this movie. His name was Gordon Gecko, played by a great actor, Michael Douglas. The movie's called Wall Street. And he says this. He's having a, like a, he has his own little sermon there. He's with all these Wall Street money makers. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its form, greed for life, greed for money, for love, for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will save the malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Wow. See, in business at that level, one must play that game. If one wants to climb the corporate ladder, it would be advisable to grab your glove because hardball is a brutal game. Politics for profit, destroy the competition, take no prisoners. Right? That's what the world rolls on. You want to, go, you want to live in the world? Those, those are the masters. And you are. They're a slave. I don't care where you work. You're their slave. You're lucky they don't come down from the top floor and come down and say, hey, do a tap dance. Because you're their slave. That's the world system that we live in. That's the will that most people would rather live in. Why? Because they can see it. They can handle it. It's the vertical, the horizontal world. Money. Very interesting. So, but if you want to live in the overflow of God's will, let me say like this. How many want to live in the overflow of God's will? Amen. Let me say again, there are like four people. The rest of you just don't really care, huh? How many want to live in the overflow of God's will? Amen. See, that's what we're talking about. See, if one is not careful, money will kill that message every time. See, I want to live in the overflow of God's will. But if you're not careful, money will say, no, you don't. See, greed tries to choke out God's will. It'll try to choke it out of your dream, out of everything you want. See, seeking God's plan is demanding. Hmm? First, you have to desire it. But not just simply, oh, I desire it. No, no. You have to desire it more than life. If you want God's will, and if, but if you, I'm, I'm telling you, you have to desire it more than your wife. More than your husband, more than your children, more than you. If you want God's will, you have to desire it. If you can't get to that point, listen, my friend, you'll never find God's will. Oh, you might come to church and praise the Lord. You might sit in the back, hallelujah. And hopefully one day it'll, it'll, it'll snap. But you'll never find God's will unless you desire it. Huh? It's almost like that first... That first love, you know, because you, you, you think oh, you're in love. And they call it puppy love, right? Arr, you think you're in love. Oh, I, need, I need her. I love her, right? You know, how, you know how that first love, when you're really dumb? Because that first love, you're real dumb. After you get a broken heart or two, the puppy done grown up. 
So the puppy went, who let the dogs out? I ain't no puppy no more, right? But that's how you, that first love is how you need to desire God's will. Why? Because greed will turn you into that dog. Roof, roof, roof. And I think that's why dogs do it like that. They say, rough. Because being a dog is rough. Oh, love. Hallelujah. Second, you must be willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice and materialism do not mix. When you desire God's will more than life and are willing to sacrifice, you are ready to seek God's direction. God said, there's my man. There's my woman. Watch. Now, now your eyes will begin to look at everything differently. It'll see the same things happening, but see something different. All of a sudden, your eyes change focus. Right? You're looking beyond the person here. You're looking beyond. You begin to see people in different, with a different perspective. You begin to see buildings with a different perspective. You begin, your car even changed. What, did I get a new car? What's different about this car? You are now seeking God's will. Hmm? Big difference. Huh? You have to come, what I said last week, you have to come to that crisis of belief. Hmm? So we learned last week that God challenges us to seek his will by, by bringing us to that crisis of belief. A crisis where you're going to have so much doubt and not believe this is God. You're going to have to cry because this God wouldn't do this. God, you should have. I mean, you're going to have a crisis of belief where you're going to be on the edge of saying, forget Christianity. You're going to see it. You're going to think it. You're going to want it. But something inside you goes, no, i got to believe this. Even though it makes no sense. I'm, why are you doing this to me? God, God is you. I can't do this. I don't know if I want to go to church no more. They're asking too much. I don't, I, I, I don't know if I want to get involved in ministry. What, what, what? I was reminded of Pastor Barry. I love that guy. Pastor Barry was with Jose, pioneering the, the African church. And he, was a, he, did, he never left the home. He went straight from the home in Santa Rosa. And he went right to Africa to, to pioneer another home. He didn't even know how to be out of the home. He, I think he still thinks he's in the home. 20 years later or 15 years later. He goes to Africa and he helps and he stays there. And he's just a worker. Stays there. Just works, work, work, work. And then after several years, they, they plant seven, a few churches. But he wasn't the lead guy. He was just working, working. Then they said, oh, you know, we want to go start a church in Ireland. And send Barry. He can, and they send Barry to Ireland. And he goes to Ireland, and he's there for like two weeks. They say, oh, we changed our mind. We're not going to do a church in Ireland. So Barry's wife is from Amsterdam. I call Barry the international man of flair, because you know, he was all over the world. He goes to Barry, because Barry actually pioneered, helped um, start the church in Indonesia, and he was a men's home director in the Philippines. So he's been all over. So he goes to Ireland. He says, oh, Barry, we decided not, we're, gonna, we're not going to do it. Uh, hold on over there. Well, Ireland's not that far from Amsterdam, just right over the channel. So he goes to Amsterdam with his wife. He's staying there. He's there for a couple of months. Has no plan. I'm not like, I go, wow. And I see him. I go, get Barry at the conference. I go, how you doing, bro? He goes, you know, I'm okay. I know. He has no idea what God's doing with him. He come to the end of his rope. God, is this you? Maybe I just give up this ministry and just go get a job? Is this you? What are you doing to me? He's at the crisis of belief. Uh, he, was, he was disbelieving in a ministry that he had given his life to for 15 years as if he was dumped in, in Europe. Imagine him. 
And all of a sudden he gets a phone call. Bring, bring, bring. This person, he says, Barry, you are going to take over the missionary training center in L.A. He went from, because he said, no, I gave my life to this. God, you're doing something, and I'm not giving up. Hmm? He was following God's will. Now, you're not there, but you should get there. Every, every one of us should get there because we're following God's will. Hello, somebody. See, God's plan. I want you to, you know what a, 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 a synonym is? You know, a word that means the same thing, right? Well, here's a synonym, but the phrase synonym. God's plan and you going through changes are synonyms. So when you're in God's plan, you should be going through it. If you're, if you're comfortable where you're at, oh, you got a maid and shade with lemonade, my friend, that's not God's plan. Uh-uh. God puts you to changes. Why? Because he, well, unless you're perfect, and then we, if you're perfect, let me call you Lord, raise your hand. So if you're not perfect, it means you have to go through changes. Because you should be changing. Why? And you're following God's plan. Now listen, I know a message like this is going to uh, affect some people, especially a lot of people if you've been in church a while. I don't mean to. Well, I'm trying to get you on God's plan. Because it's never too late. I like Caleb was 80 years old. I was 80 years old. He goes, I'm as strong today as I was when I was 40 years old. That's a bad dude right there at 80. Reminds me of Cleet Masterson. All the prophets, your pastor, had to abandon their lifestyle to follow God's will. Romans 9, 31. Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness. Now check this out. Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Has not attained what? The righteousness. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. So, it's not what you do that matters. It's what you do by faith that matters. Because we have Christians do a lot of good things. I give a hundred million to the, the Salvation Army. I do. These are good things. But was it done by faith or just something you did? We do, Christians do a lot of great things. But, and there are a lot of Christians who never attain God's will for the very fact they're doing a lot of good. Man, I'm, I'm getting deep right here. I'm starting to preach myself happy. See, we don't want to just do good. We want to do God. And who knows what God's will. God's will, now this is the funny part. God's will may mean you just stay right where you're at. It may mean that. It may mean you, know, you stay where you're at. Uh, you help support the outreach. You get people all over the world. Because that's why I called you to I don't know God's will for your, for your life. But I do know God has a plan. And we all have to find it. Some of you, especially the younger ones, the guys, especially the guys in the home and, and the women in the home, some of you, I'm telling you, you're going to be pastors and evangelists. Why? Because God has called you. That's why the devil tried to kill you. You just got to hang in there. Others, you may not. You just may be pillars in the church to help send some of these people. But we have to, we have to lock into God's will. What is God's will for your life? Huh? We have to find it. Does anybody really want God's will? I do. See, God will challenge you to step out and give up your kingdom for his. Huh? Faith in action. I love faith in action. A time at which God is calling you to something greater. 
greater than supplying services, greater than punching the clock, greater than working hard so you can play uh, now, so you can play later. No, God is challenging us all to do something great now for him. Hmm? See, there's, now, there's difficulties to God's will, right? Because we have a hard time accepting that God is sovereign. Right? We, we want every, you know, people, everybody here wants to serve God, right? We do. That's why we're here. So, but here's the thing. God has a certain offering that you have to bring. He has something that you have to bring. Not what you want to bring. He has something that he asks you to bring. So what we do is, God, I'm going to bring this to you. And, we, and God said, oh, you can bring it. But that's not what I asked. But I will take it. Huh? But there's a specific thing that God wants you to bring. What do you bring to his table? Huh? Here's the pattern I've witnessed many times. Witness all the time. We come to recognize God. We take back our life after a wedding. It's a little too heavy, especially the home, the women's home. You know, they're all messed up and they're getting right together. You know, they brush their teeth now and they're getting everything in order, right? And all of a sudden they go, well, no, God, thank you very much. God, thank you, Victor Irish, but see you later. I'm, I'm better now. And then, and then they, never, they go do their own will and they never come back and serve God. So they recognize God, then they take back their life. Then we begin to operate under our own power. Look at the pattern. So now we're under our own power, and listen, our power is pretty good. If you're disciplined, you can avoid the hell or the devil. He can't hurt you. Discipline will keep the devil away. It won't keep you from, it won't keep you from hell, but it'll keep the devil away while you're on earth. Because you're disciplined. You're disciplined in the power. I get up every morning. I go to work. I don't, I don't drink too much. I just drink a little bit. I don't, I don't get too carried away. You know, I might smoke a little bit or whatever, a little blump, a little some, some, but I don't get too carried away. Why? Because you're disciplined. And that'll get you a long way. You pay all your bills. You get a good credit rating. Ooh, you're bad, right? You got a 700. You go, you can qualify for a house. Thank you very much. And you qualify for a house. You get all the stuff. You're doing good. That's discipline. God has nothing to do with that. That's all you. See, we're very powerful on our own. So we can, lead, we can lead a great life, do well for ourselves, and never have God's intent or purpose in us or never accomplish it. We operate on our own power. Then we go off in our lifestyle. You know how it happens. You come on. You know, you, know, you have a, you don't just want a, you know, a 2,000 square foot house. Now I gotta build me a bigger barn. I don't just want this, I want that. And we begin to go off and off, and then we allow our lifestyle to trap us. And so when God calls you, He says, Hey, I'm calling you. I, got, I, I wanna go, God, but man, I bought these two cars and I got a lot of bills. And then I got this bill, but I made good money, and I'm paying all my bills. And I, I still tithe. I'm faithful. Well, thank you very much. But I really can't do your will because, man, I am bound. I got just too much stuff. I got too much going on. Anybody relate to that? Huh? See, I see this pattern all the time. Then it takes something tragic. Some, something has to happen. And I hope it's not tragic. But something has to happen to bring us back to our senses. You know, God, I've been wasting time. I got all this stuff going for me, and really it's not bringing me the happiness, the joy that I want. What more is it? So you have to get back into God's will. Remember I said, everything he, you did, God will use, but you have to take where you're at and put it right to where God's plan. 
And once you put on God's plan, like I said earlier, you may not change anything you're doing, but now you're, you're shifted your idea. It's no longer self-centered. It's God-centered. I'm going to shift, God. I'm not just going to work and make money and take care of my 401. I'm going to do that, but you know, I'm going to shift. I'm going to start putting a little sum sum away from ministry. I'm going to start doing this and start giving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help plant a church in, in Vietnam. I'm going to help do something in Manila. Matter of fact, I'm going to go bless the men's own. Men, we need a van. We got broke down van. We, I'm going to go bless the men's own with a van. See, all of a sudden, you're shifting. Why? Because you're, you're, you're focusing on God's plan. And believe me, there's room enough for you and your dreams in God's plan. There's always room. Uh, See, so God alone is qualified to be in charge. He's perfect. He has a perfect perspective, perfect wisdom, perfect character, untouched by outside influences. God is perfect. So we should take joy that God is sovereign. Uh, God, we should take joy in his sovereignty that comforts, sets us free, keeps us humble. God. So we have nothing to do with his plan for our life. There's nothing you can accomplish to do to make it different. It doesn't. It's what we do is what we do. He doesn't need our help. He just needs our willingness. Huh? Anything, everything. Why? Because any, any moment in my past, any time along the way, because I've seen people better than me going down this path, doing good, and they blow it. And they throw it all away. And I go, oh, my God. That guy was like a great preacher. That guy had it all gone. And he blew it. He threw it away for some scary Mary. I see it all the time, man. And I go, wow. But I also know, for whatever reason, and I'm thankful to God, that I never made those bad choices. I just, I just stay the course. Nope. Uh-uh. I, I see that. Oh, look at that, brother. Look. Oh, my goodness. He did what? Wow, wow. But I, I, I just stay the course. Uh, why? Because I want to accomplish his will. Hmm? I want to do what he's called me to do. See, God wants to reveal his job description to you, what he wants you to do. But in a stubborn state, it's very difficult to hear God. So our lack of character, wrong attitude, lack of discipline can deafen us to God's voice. Huh? Lack of discipline, wrong attitude, deafen us to God's voice. I looked at this, and I'm, I'm coming in from land. I have distilled five qualities, attitudes, or disciplines that you need to hear God. First one, you have to have an accepting mental attitude to include submission to authority. You have to. Second, biblical investigation that is sincere. Not biblical investigation to prove somebody wrong and you right. See, persons that are seeking God are not trying to disprove or prove anything. They're just trying to get to know God. Third, clarification and conviction from the Holy Spirit. Clarification and conviction. Conviction, you know, that, that little conviction when you're out there and you shouldn't be doing it, but you do it anyway. That's a lack of conviction. Oh, you have a hard time hearing God's voice. Four, decision-making that produces the peace of God. So what I'm saying, because sometimes you're going to get to a decision-making point, and you're not going to know if it's the right one or not. 
And sometimes you make the decision and you know it's wrong. You know, after you make it, like, oh, what did I do? And God will fix you and put you back in place. But eventually you have to come to a point that your decisions are producing the peace of God. Oh, I did a decision. That was the right choice. Praise the Lord. Hi, it worked. Everybody's happy. My wife's happy. Oh, my dog's happy. God's happy. Ooh. And then you make another choice. Oh, it's still the peace of God. You're, all, all of a sudden, you're getting a better batting uh, average. You know what I mean? You're not going to bat a thousand, but you know, you're at least, at least in the high 700s, right? Because why? Your decision making is getting better and better based on your conviction and your attitude and your mental capacity. Now, you're, you're, every step you make, peace of God. Oh, that's great. Peace of God. Some of you, you don't, you, you don't understand the peace of God to make, know how to make right choices. That's why your life is always engulfed in turmoil. Some people like to, you know, you know the people, they just like turmoil. They like, what's that word? They, they like things happening, you know, a big old mess. They just get off on that. Right? No, peace of God. And fifthly, this is very important. You're hearing God. Expect struggles and surprises along the way. Some people, when, when things don't go right, they get all flustered. Listen, God's will will fluster you. Huh? It will test you. You know why? Because along the path of God's will, there's this strength creature that God created. So as you're walking down the road of God's will, if you don't expect to be flustered, as you're walking along the road of God's will, there's a strange creature that God puts in your path. It's called people. And every time you cross people, guess what people are going to do to you? They're going to fluster you, frustrate you. And if you can't handle that, you're going to have a hard time hearing God's voice. Why? Because you're going to be so flustered by everybody. God's going to say, hey, stupid, I'm trying to talk to you. That girl. Who let the, they start barking again, right? And they're barking, 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 and God's trying to talk to you, but you're so flustered by people that you can't even hear. Expect struggles and surprises along the way. So, how does one deal with the difficulty of God's will? I think I'm almost close. Yeah. We submit. Submission keeps us on course. We follow those who follow Christ. Seems very simple, and it is, but it's very difficult. I've been lucky because I've had men of God that have always led me right. When I don't know what's happening and I'm going crazy, first I had Pastor Steve. And I said, well, I'm just going to do what this guy says. And he's never steered me wrong. He died Ten years ago, then God replaced Pastor Steve with Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz. When I had major things, and I've had some major things, he gave me Pastor Sonny. And these men have always led me right. I trusted them. I go, whatever they say, I'm going to do. But what if they say this? And I look at, and I go, they're not going to. Me and my wife have conversations. They're not going to say that. Why? Because they're men of God. If they do, I'm just going to go with it because whatever they say, I'm going to go with. Why? Because I've trusted them this far for 34 years and they've kept me in line with Christ. Why should I change now? So I trust them. I've been blessed. So a submission keeps them on course. We follow those who follow Christ. 
We become servants to and for God. Huh? We become servants to and for God. We will follow him. We have to become servants on our path of discipleship, on the roller coaster ride of stormy seas. We have to become servants. Right? What is a servant? There's, there's five, one, two, three, four words they use in the Bible for servant. One is Meshurah was an attendant. Joshua was a servant of Moses. The next one is Litigoros, which is a subordinate or a public administrator. In Romans 15, 16. I'm getting deep, but I'm going to get you somewhere. Then the other word is deaconess, a subordinate officer employed in relation to the ministry. Right? Paul and Apollos, uh, uh, Timothy, these were, these were deacons, or Apollos, deacon. They worked in the church. Then the Greek, and I'm going to end with this, I promise, is the word hyperetis. That is a great word, if you understood it. In English, it means under rower. Under, say under rower. I'm going to conclude with this. Under rower. It derives its meaning from the military life of the war galleys of a mass of Greek, Roman, and Phoenician warships. You might have seen them in the History Channel or on some movie with these big, giant boats made out of wood. And at the bottom of the boats, when they're going, there's row oars sticking out. They're, the oars are about two feet above the water. And in these big, giant um, ships are the under oars, men, sitting side by side, sometimes three or four aside, and they all have that rower, and they're rowing. They're under one. You see the picture? And they're rowing, and there's a man in the front of them with a drum. Boom, 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 and they're rowing. Well, there's different drums and different sounds that they understand certain things, and they row, row. A lower deck, just a two feet above the water with seats of rowers, Slaves. Slaves. These underworlds were brought into service. Many of them educated people by the Roman armies, brought in from the countries they conquered. They would get the most educated people. Why? Because they were trying to conquer a people. And the way you conquer a people is you have to remove the intelligentsia from a community or from a country to, to rule it. That's why when countries come in, they would burn all the books, and they would kill all the, the, the professors. They would wipe them out. Stalin did it. Mao Zedong did it. Uh, they're doing it in the United States by dumbing down people. The dumber you are, the easier you, you, get your, you give your vote. So that's the way you conquer people. So they would take all the educated people and put them at the bottom of the boat. Slaves. And they would row. Now you think, guys, I ain't going to row. Well, they have to row. All right? Visualize them in the darkness and dampness of the lower deck, chained together, tediously rowing after hour after hour, day after day. And the reason they row is because this is a warship. The purpose, the success we achieve comes from God's blessing, not our effort. We're just under rowers. What do you want me to do? Which way do you want me to turn? Where do you want me to go? And you, listen, that's how this pastor responds to his pastor. To his leader, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Why? Because I am called to reach and help to reach every industry in the world. I'm called to reach treasures out of darkness. Amen. Men and women lost and bound, I'm called. And I have to be, the more prepared I get, the more willing I am able to follow orders, the more God will give me. Huh? Today is a time to which God is calling 
you to something greater. The call of your life is here. Are you ready for your call? Will you answer like Matthew? I will to the invitation. Follow me. I want every bow and every eye closed.